1: you to open the Word of God with me again to the first book of the Bible, if you will, the book of Genesis. Is your Bible just naturally falling open there yet? Uh, We've been spending all week long in it, and the life of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, The reality is, I was in the Middle East not too many months ago, and no matter where you travel in the world, if you say the name Abraham, people know who you're talking about, because all of the major religions claim him. Isn't that funny? Every one of them say, oh, yes, oh, yes, we we trace back to Abraham. But if you study the, the Bible very carefully, you're going to see that there's a direct link, a direct connection between Abraham, the Old Testament, and the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So if you know Abraham but you don't know Jesus, then you missed it. Because the whole thing about Abraham and Abraham's line, Abraham's family was, that it was the family through which our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come. The amazing thing was Jesus was having a conversation one day with a group of people, and uh, he, he made a comment about how old he was and what he had seen. And they said, you saying that you're, you're as old as Abraham? And he said, no, I'm older than Abraham, because before Abraham was, I am. You see, the Lord Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And Abraham and Sarah just got in on what God was doing in their lifetime, at their moment in history. You understand we all live in our moment in history. We have our little blip on the map. And uh, the only thing that makes it valuable, the only thing that makes it meaningful is that it is connected to what God is doing in eternity. So when we open the Word of God, I must tell you, I don't want you to know Abraham better. Now, frankly, I'm looking forward to meeting him in heaven. Anybody else looking forward to sitting down with Abraham someday? Think about all the people you're going to meet, and talk with. But I don't want you to just know Abraham better. I want you to know Jesus better uh, because the reality is the faith of Abraham is the faith we must have, and that is faith in God alone. I bring you tonight to Genesis chapter number 21. There's so much more to the life of Abraham and Sarah, and I would encourage you to read it for yourself and to study it, spend time in it. But I want to concentrate, if I may, on just a handful of verses tonight and encourage your faith. Frankly, we are living in terribly depressing days. (laughs) And uh, the reality is when you look around you and you see all that's going on in the world and you think, my soul, is everything coming apart? Uh, This is the time when we must go back to what we know for sure. And what do we know for sure? Well, look at Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, and the Lord. How many of you in your Bible, Lord is all capital letters? Would you look at it, please? Do you see it? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see that? You understand, that's not just a nice way of writing Lord or the people that printed your Bible said, you know, we think we'll make this stand out and put it all in bold. That's not what that is. Every time you see in your Bible all capital Lord, that is the name for Jehovah God. That's the name for Yahweh. It was the covenant name for the God of Israel. <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you how they revered the name of the Lord. They would not speak it out loud. We've come a long way now for people taking God's name in vain, haven't we? You ever wonder why nobody ever curses in anybody's name but Jesus' name? Seriously, I was thinking about this the other day. When was the last time you heard somebody say Muhammad? or Buddha, or Confucius, or Joseph Smith, or any other leader of any other religious movement. Why is the name of Jesus the only name that has ever taken in vain? And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's the name Satan hates above all other names, and it is the only name given whereby people can be saved and have their sins forgiven. So all of hell hates the name of Jesus Christ. And when they came to this name, the Jewish people, the Lord, they would insert another one of the names for God just out of reverence for the name. Imagine this name meant so much to them. They did not even want to speak it with their lips. Did you know that the scribes, when they were copying out the Old Testament Scriptures and they came to this particular name, that they would get a new pen. They would take a bath. True, study it for yourself. And they would put on clean clothes before they would ever write this particular name for the Lord. Because this is the way they reverenced the name of our great God. I don't know about you. I think we need to get back to some of that reverence for our Lord. And the Bible says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord, there it is again, did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. How would you like to have a baby and say, we're going to call him laughter? And why did they call him laughter? Why did they call him rejoicing? I'll tell you why. Keep reading. Look at verse number 4, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old as God had commanded him, and Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. How many of you think if daddy was 100 and mama was 90, you might laugh too? In fact, look at verse 6, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. You understand, there's an empty kind of laughter, and there's a lot of people, frankly, laughing their way to hell. They're laughing their way to hell. They're finding some some empty thing to consume their attention for a little while and take their mind off of serious things and eternal things but they're thinking nothing about God. That's not the laughter here. This is not an empty laughter. This is a full laughter. This is not earthly laughter. This is heavenly laughter. This, this is the laughter of the joy that only God can give. The world can't give you this kind of laughter, and praise God, the world can't take it away either because this is the laughter connected to the joy that's connected to the faith that's connected to the Lord who always does exactly what he says he's going to do. And so look at verse 7. She said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? Can I tell you who said it? Only the Lord did. Nobody else would have even thought of such a thing. Only God. And I love this. Look at verse 7. For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Abraham and Sarah must have been good Baptists because when they got happy, they threw supper. That's what they did, you know. They brought the food in. He made quite a feast, and they celebrated. But I want you to mark something in your Bible tonight. It's found repeatedly in the verses we just read. Take a pen out. And in verse number 1, I'd like for you to mark this phrase, as he had said. And then mark it a second time in verse 1, as he had spoken. A third time, look at the end of verse 2, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And one more time, if that wasn't enough, look at the end of verse 4, as God had commanded him. You have it marked in your Bible, as he had said, as he had spoken, at the set time of which God had spoken to him, as God had commanded him. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on this subject, just like he said. Just like he said. May I tell you what makes the Word of God, look here, this this book is not just any book. This is not man's Word. This is God's Word. I'm going to tell you what makes God's Word so special. God does everything he says he's going to do. How many of you have ever been disillusioned by people who told you they were going to do something and they didn't follow through? Join the club. Sometimes outright bold-faced lied to you. Sometimes they may have been sincere, but they made promises they couldn't keep. They had the best of intentions, but they just couldn't bring it to fruition. Let me tell you about my God. My God is not only willing, my God is able, and my God is always true to do it just like he said. In fact, let me tell you about the integrity of our God. Our God, the Bible says, it is impossible for him to do anything other than the truth. And I don't know about you, in a world full of lies, in a world of deceit and guile, and frankly, you don't even know who you can believe anymore, aren't you glad you can go back to the Word of the living God and know that God will always fulfill what He foretold. God will always do it just like He said. Now, He may not do it like you like, and He may not do it when you want, and He may not do it your way, but He will always do exactly what He says He's going to do. Life is full of question marks. I love this. You know what you got to do with your questions? It's all right to have questions. We all have them. But I'll tell you what you got to do with your questions. You got to know where to go to get your answers. So here's what you do you grab your questions by the hair of the head and you drag them kicking and screaming into the presence of the Holy God. And the Lord has an amazing way of taking those question marks and straightening out and making them exclamation points, bringing you to a place of certainty and confidence and conviction in the midst of a world that frankly is trying to figure out what it's doing and where it's going. Before I walk you through these verses, let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn over just a few pages from where you are in Genesis to the book of Numbers, would you? This is is still in the first five books of the Bible, so it's in the writings of Moses. And look at Numbers chapter 23. There's a story here about a backslidden preacher. Did you know preachers can get backslidden too? Of course they can. Preachers can be out of fellowship with God, not what they ought to be. But even a backslidden preacher knew enough to know that God always keeps his word. Listen to a backslidden preacher preach. Look at Numbers 23 and verse number 19 where the Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Here's a man, frankly, whose life is upside down. He's not doing everything he ought to do, but he knows this about the unchanging nature and character of God, and it is this. God will always do exactly what he said he would do. Come with me to the New Testament. Look at the little book of Titus for just a moment because Paul wrote almost exactly the same thing. Hundreds of thousands of years later. Look at Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2. He says, in hope of eternal life. How many of you want eternal life? Would you raise your hand? I want you to know that your eternal life is contingent not on what you say, but on what God says. Your eternal life can be rooted only in one thing, and that is what God says in his word. In hope of eternal life, which God don't miss it, please, that what, church, cannot lie. It doesn't say does not lie. Look, God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Let me tell you why. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God cannot lie because God by his very nature and essence is the truth. When he opens his mouth, the only thing that comes out of him is truth. God that cannot lie promised before the world began. One more time, come over to the book of Hebrews just a moment. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 18. The writer of Hebrews wrote it as well. Hebrews 6, verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. (laughs) Immutable means it doesn't change. May I just ask, how many of you have lived long enough to know everything changes? For example, is your body changing, yes or no? Now, in ways you don't always choose. Isn't that correct? Do finances change? Yes or no? (laughs) You better believe it. Solomon said they make themselves wings and fly away, and don't they fly. Houses change. You can build a brand-new house, and you think we've got it exactly like we want it, and that house is going to take maintenance because things deteriorate on their own. We're living in a changing world. It's always changing all the time. My wife and I have been married Almost twenty six years. I can't believe that. We got married on Friday the thirteenth. That was the luckiest day of my life. And we have three children. They all look like their mother. Praise God for that. And frankly, we're at a season in life where life is changing. It's just changing. Our oldest daughter is twenty four and expecting our first grandbaby in August. I'm so excited about that. And I get to be a papa. And we're, we're looking forward to it. We are trying to figure out what my wife's going to be called. We've been debating that. Her name's Tammy. I voted for Grammy Tammy, and she said no to that. So if you've got any other good suggestions I can take home, let me know what they are. We're we going to be grandparents. How's that possible? I was sitting working on a few things a, moment, a few moments ago, and, and my phone rang, and I looked down. It was my daughter. Not her, not the oldest, but the middle daughter. She's 21. She's in Michigan working with young people this summer at a camp, and just wanted to talk for a moment. I looked at her. She looks so much like her mother and grandmother and she's growing up and I'm thinking, man, life's changing. My son called me today, 17, just graduated from high school. We're we're approaching the empty nest and trying to figure all of that out. And he's going off to college and he he's so excited and and we're scared to death. And you know all of that, right? Because things are what? Everything's changing. Would you hear me with your heart tonight? In a changing world, it's awfully good to know that there is a God who never changes. Let me tell you something that's immutable. It is impossible for God to lie. Everything God says is true because the God of the Bible is the God of truth, and he wants you to know him for yourself. Nothing brings peace to the heart. Nothing brings joy to the soul. Nothing brings hope to the mind like knowing the God who always does it just like he said he would do it. So go back with me, would you please, to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Again, let's walk through these verses, and let me show you some things. This is this is not the end of the story, but it is the bottom line. It's not it's not the last chapter in Abraham's account, but it's it's the conclusion, really, of the whole thing. God always does what he says, and might I add, we must learn to do what he says. Here's the first thing. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says the Lord visited Sarah. May I ask, have you ever had somebody show up at your house, unexpected, uh, unannounced, a visitor, and you were excited about them showing up? How many of you have ever had that happen? Four of you. That's good. Wonderful. How many of you ever had a visitor show up and you weren't excited they were on your doorstep? Yeah. That's a lot of people there. May I tell you, when the Lord shows up, you're always happy about it. And I love this word. The Bible says, the Lord visited Sarah. And don't miss it, as he said. When did he say that? He said it back in chapter number 17. He, he said to Abraham, I'm going to come and I'm going to visit you all. He said to Sarah, I, I'm going to give you a baby. They didn't believe it, but God always does exactly what he says. So here's the first thing. Would you write it down in the margin of your Bible first? There's a promise kept. God always keeps his promises. You can take it to the bank. No, no, you can take it further than the bank. You can take it all the way into eternity with confidence that God always keeps his promises. Look at the end of the verse. The Bible says, "And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken." I've marked in my Bible the word visited and the word did. He he not only came, he worked. Here's his presence and here's his power. He always comes like he says and he always works like he says. For hundreds of years The prophets said, Jesus is coming, Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming, the Christ child is coming, and they said, "Mm mm-hmm, sure he is, sure he is. And guess what? Guess what? When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Right on time, God the Father sent his son into this world because God always keeps his promises, and he always comes just like he says. We've been studying the first book of the Bible. Talk to me. What's the last book of the Bible? May I just tell you, the same God that was the Lord in Genesis is the Lord in Revelation. The same God who kept his promises to Abraham will keep his promises to us at the end of the age. And the same Christ who came the first time just like he said is coming back again just like he said he would. There are lots of doubters and skeptics and cynics and critics. There are lots of naysayers, but I want you to know God always keeps his promises. They asked George Mueller late in life. You remember Mueller? Had the orphanages and never asked for money, prayed in all the money needed, and took care of all those hundreds and thousands of orphan boys and girls all of his life. And late in life, they said Mr. Mueller was such a happy man. I, I've prayed that for my life. I really have. I've prayed, Dear God, help me not become a sour old man. I'd like to finish with joy. That's how I'd like to finish, finish my course with joy. And they said Mueller was a happy soul. And they asked him one day, they said, Mr. Mueller, what's the secret been of your life? You've gotten all these answers to prayer. You've kept your joy. You've dealt with everything that came at you. He said, that was easy. He said, every morning I got out of bed. I got my Bible and got down on my knees. And he said, I read the word of God until I found one of God's promises in his word. And he said, as soon as I found one of those promises, he said, on my knees, I put my finger on the promise and looked up to heaven and said, Lord, you promised, and I'm claiming this one today. And George Mueller said there was never a single day that God did not keep his promises. I want you to know that doesn't just work for Abraham and George Mueller. That works for all of God's children. You know what we need? We need an old-fashioned revival of the promises of God. We need God's people to go back to the Word again and say, Lord, we're going to believe that you are who you've always been and you are doing what you always said you're going to do. We just trust you're going to do it just like you said you're going to do it. And I want you to know it's in that kind of faith that hope springs forth. You don't get hope and joy by trying to have hope and joy. In fact, I'm going to tell you the most miserable people on earth, the most miserable people on earth are people who are trying to be happy. They're trying, working hard at it. But you can't psych this up, work this up, muster this up. You can't stand in front of the mirror in the morning and say, all right, we're going to be hopeful today. That doesn't work. Let me tell you what you can do. You get your eyes off yourself, eyes off others, eyes off culture, eyes off circumstances, and you get your eyes back on God, and you believe that God is where he has always been, seated on the throne of the universe, that he has his eye on you, he has every hair of your head numbered, he knows your frame and remembers that you're dust, he knows you by name, knows exactly where you live. You know in your heart that God is God, and though you are not, you are in his hand. And that God will always keep his promises. Adoniram Judson went off to Myanmar, Burma, to preach the gospel. He was so excited. He thought when he got there, the whole country would want to get saved. He started preaching, faced lots of opposition. They arrested him, threw him in jail, beat him. One day they hung him by his thumbs in a prison cell. They left him there for several hours. They let his wife, Anne, in to see him. They thought if she saw him in that condition that she'd think it was so pitiful, she'd talk him out of preaching the gospel and help him to stop. She, they didn't know she had as strong a faith as he did. And Ann Judson came in and saw her husband hanging there by his thumbs, and she started to weep. Adoniram roused himself and saw her standing there and asked why she was there. She pulled a piece of paper out of her pocket. and She said, the missions agency that sent us here wrote you a letter. They need a report. They want to know how things here are progressing. That kind of thing always comes just when you don't need it, right? They said Arm Judson took a deep breath and said these words, you write them and tell them that the future here is as bright as the promises of God. Do you know within three hours he was released from that prison's hell and went on evangelizing Burma with the gospel? A few years ago I was preaching a single adult conference in South Alabama place was packed with college-age young people. And I noticed there was a lot of energy in the room, and I noticed there was a group seated off to my right. They all had on matching T-shirts, big group. I said to the guy who was running the conference, I said, tell me about this group. He said, I don't know them. He said, they came from a major university in the state of Florida. They found out about the conference, and they brought a van up, and they just wanted to be here. And they were into it. The next day at lunch, I walked into a cafeteria, and they were all seated together, and they had one, one seat at their table. I said, can I join you? Oh, yes, preacher. Come sit with us. And I sat down, and we started talking. I started talking about the work we'd done at the University of Tennessee and, and how much we loved working with college students. And, and I said, just making, just making conversation. I said, tell me about your group. Tell me how it got started. It was a prayer group, a Bible study group from a university. Young man, seated across the table from me, looked at me, and he said, have you ever heard of a guy named Adoniram Judson? I said, you mean the missionary to Burma? He seemed a little surprised. I knew who it was, and he said, that's him. I said, yes, I know all about Adoniram Judson. It's an amazing story to the Golden Shore. His eyes lit up. He said, well, he's the one who really started our Bible study group. I said, now time out just a second because he's been dead for a long time. You're going to have to help me here a little bit. He said, well, it's a funny story. He said, years ago, there was a young man who came from Burma to study in our university. And he was so excited because he was coming to that great Christian nation, America. And he was a follower of Jesus. And he said, when he got to our university campus, he just knew he'd find a bunch of other believers that he could worship God with and pray and study the Bible. And he said, do you know he had a hard time finding another Christian? He said, so he started this prayer group, this Bible study group, many years ago now, and it's existed ever since on our university campus. And he said the strangest thing, his great, great, great grandparents were personally led to Christ and discipled by the missionary Adniram Judson while they were in Burma. He said in, in a kind of an indirect way, Adniram Judson was responsible for us getting this Bible study group going. And immediately, I saw Adniram Judson hanging in that prison cell. And I heard his words, the future here is as bright as all of the promises of God. You listen to me, people. I know the world is bad. I know the government's in a mess. I know the the culture is corrupt. I know Satan is a liar and the father of it. I know there's a lot of people who are despondent and living in despair. But I want you to know that for those who know and love and follow Jesus Christ, we have a hope for this world and the world to come. And it's not rooted in men that change and that lie and don't keep their word. It is rooted in the God who never changes and always does it just like he said he would do it. There's a promise kept. I love that verse in the New Testament. It says that all the promises of God in Christ are yea and in him amen to the glory of God by us. I love this. You know how you get the promise of God? In Christ. You don't get the promises without the person. If you want the hope, you want the joy, you want the peace, you want the promise, then you must take Jesus. But when you get Jesus, he brings all the rest of it with him when he comes. And he does it just like he says. Look at verse number 2. And not only is there a promise kept here, there's a plan fulfilled. Look at verse 2. He says, For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. May I point out to you that God had a plan for Sarah's life, and God had a plan for Abraham's life, and God fulfilled both of them. I'd like every person in this room to look me in the eye for just a moment. I want to tell you tonight on the authority of the Word of God. This is not my idea. This is what the Bible teaches, that God has a plan for every person in this room. God created you. God made you. God gave you life. God put you on this planet. You're not here by some accident. Before he ever formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you, and he had a plan and purpose for your life. And here's the glorious truth. When you come to believe and obey God, you find that God's promises are kept And God's plan is fulfilled just like he said. There's so many people trying to plan their life. Let's just get real. We're all trying to plan our life. How many fellow planners are in the room? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, we like to plan, don't we? And we plan our vacation and plan our retirement and plan our kids' future and plan, plan, plan. Let me just tell you, there is no plan on earth as great as God's divine plan for you. God has something for every person in this room. A living dog is better than a dead lion. As long as there's life, there is hope. Sarah, God's got something for you. Abraham, God's got something for you. Put your name in the blank. God's got something for you, just like he said. You may not be as famous as Abraham and Sarah, but I want you to know the God who gave your life has a plan for your life. And success is not lots of money in a bigger house and a longer vacation and more money in the bank account and a great retirement. Success is finding and fulfilling the divine plan of God for your life. Look at the second half of verse number 2 because he not only has something for each person's life, he does it at the perfect time. I love that. The Bible says at the set time. You, you do understand God's timetable is different than ours, right? The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, there are days I wish I was God. And there are days you wish you were. But I'm glad you're not, and you better be glad I'm not. Because we'd make an everlasting mess of things. See, we're stuck in time, but God, who is in eternity, sees the end from the beginning. He knows the perfect time for everything. And maybe you think God has forgotten you. I came to tell you, God knows exactly where you are. He is never early, and he's never a second late. God is always right on time in our life. And God's timetable has brought you to this meeting. God's timetable has brought you to this moment in life because there are moments in life, there are junctures on the journey where God is seeking to bring us nearer to himself, just like he said. Frankly, it doesn't always make sense. And we'll tell you why that is. And because our reasoning is often flawed and our logic is so far below God's divine wisdom, we don't think like God always thinks. And sometimes we try to get God to come around to our way of thinking. I came to tell you tonight, God's way is always right because God's way is always best. I mean, come on. Who would have picked a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to bring the promised seed into the world? I mean, don't you think you could have come up with some better way than that? Let me tell you, by doing this, guess who got the glory for it? God did. See, God has this amazing way of bringing us to the end of ourself. I said to a man in this auditorium on the Lord's day, through his tears, I said, you know what God's doing right now? God's bringing you to the end of yourself. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because when you get to the end of you, you get to the beginning of him. See, sin leads you to a dead end. God never brings you to a dead end. God brings you to an open door. God's not the God of endings. God is the God of new beginnings. Here's what the Lord is always doing. God is bringing us to the place where we have nothing and we cannot figure it out and we cannot fix it, we cannot understand it, we cannot change it, and we throw up our hands and we say, God, I give up. I think all heaven applauds at that moment. And the Lord says, good, I've been trying to get you there for a little while. Because that is the moment where God is able to do what only God can do. And nobody says, good job, Abraham. Wow, Sarah, you did amazing. Everybody says, that must be God, and we give God all the glory and praise for it. Just as he said, a promise is kept. Just as he said, a plan is fulfilled. And if I might just give you this little footnote before I go on. You never know at what time in your life your greatest contribution will be made. You never know that. I meet people in my travels who say to me, well, preacher, I think my best days are behind me. Okay, let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Well, if you're a Christian, your best days are ahead of you because the best day you're ever going to live is the day you see Jesus face to face. The Bible says the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. It's not less and less, it's more and more. God always saves the best for last. Let me tell you when the prime of life is. See, people say, oh, she's in the prime of life, he's in the prime of life. Friend, the prime of life is any time in life when you are trusting God and obeying God and in the center of what God has for you. If God's plan is being fulfilled in your life, that's the prime of life because God is doing just exactly what he said he would do. There's a third thing I want you to see. Look at verse 3 and verse 4. The Bible says that Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. Would you write down a third thing? There's, there's not only a promise kept and a plan fulfilled, there's a principle obeyed. Remember I said to you a moment ago, God always does just what he says and we have to learn too. But here's the secret. Here's the key that unlocks the door to God's best and God's blessing. See, there's a whole world of people who are wishing and hoping things get better. They're just sitting around with their fingers crossed thinking maybe somehow by chance they'll just happen in to everything God put them on earth for. I'm going to tell you what we've raised. We've raised a whole generation of Western-minded people who want the product without the process. And I'm going to tell you that the blessing of God is always connected to faith and obedience. Would you like to know why we're still talking about Abraham and Sarah thousands of years later? Because they simply believed what God said to them. And obeyed what God told them to do. May I ask you a personal question, and you answer it just between you and God right now? Is there anything God has told you to do you've not yet done? Anything? You say, "Oh, but but that was a long time ago." That's not what I ask you. See, we're all stuck at the last place we refused to obey God. Somebody say, "Well, that's just really small." Pressure. No, no, There's nothing small. If the big God says do it. Somebody says, well, it's not not as big a thing as maybe somebody else. I'm not asking you to compare yourself with anybody else. I'm asking you, is there anything that God has told you he wants you to do that you've not yet obeyed him in? I want you to know that's where you have to start, right there. Because that principle of obedience is the thing that then gives God the liberty to do in your life what God wants to do. God's a gentleman. People get this idea of God's going to drag them through the street and knock them in the head and kick the door of their heart down and come barging in and take over. I want you to know, God doesn't work like that. He stands at the door and knocks, and he waits for you to open the door. He waits to see if you'll believe him and obey him. And when you do, the Lord comes in, and he brings all of his blessing and favor with him. You see the obedience in verse 3 and verse 4? Look at it. In verse 3, he obeyed in the naming of the boy. Some may say, well, Abraham must have liked the name Isaac. No, the heavenly father liked the name Isaac. Turn a page back. Would you just go a page back in your Bible? Look at chapter 17 and verse number 19. God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name what? God chose the name. And when the baby was born, guess what Abraham did? God named him exactly. Abraham named him exactly what God said name him. And then look at verse 4 back in chapter 21. He obeyed him not only in the naming, he obeyed him in the circumcising of him. This is where the rite of circumcision was given to the Jewish people as the sign of that Abrahamic covenant. Uh, who, Who do you think gave him the idea to circumcise his son when he was eight days old? And the Jewish people continued to do that on and on and on for centuries. God told him to do that. Go back again. Look at chapter 17 and verse number 12. He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child, in your generations God said do it so Abraham did it and I want you to know it's always right to do what God says to do always we had a woman a few years ago in a meeting on a Wednesday night a pastor it was a meeting like this it was a midweek meeting and she came forward and she was a believer she had put her faith in Christ already she was a member of the church and she said to the pastor I've never been scripturally baptized since I was saved And the pastor said, big crowd of people, the pastor said right in front of everybody, he said, Sister, we'll take care of that on Sunday. She raised her hand and she said, No, sir. And everybody looked and she said, i got to be baptized tonight. And he said, Well, the baptistry, water is cold and it hadn't been warmed yet. We'll take care of that on the Lord's Day. And she's weeping now, and she raised her hand again. And she said, Pastor, she said, I wish you knew how many nights I'd gone to bed knowing I had disobeyed God and that I'd not done what the Lord told me to do. And if it's all the same with you, I'd rather get baptized in freezing cold water and go to bed tonight knowing I've obeyed God. So we all sat down, and she got baptized in freezing cold water. Some said, that's craziness. Mm-mm, that's obedience. And you know the amazing thing? When you begin to obey God, others begin to obey God. When you begin to obey God, the blessing of God begins to come. Why? Because this is doing exactly what God says. This is the principle obeyed. Stop fighting God. Stop arguing with God. Stop making excuses with God. Stop stop saying, well, maybe another day. No, no. Today, do what God told you to do, and you'll see the blessing of God upon your life. I'll give you one more. Look at verse Number five, and following, because there's not just a promise kept and a plan fulfilled and a principle obeyed. There's a purpose accomplished. What's God's great purpose in all of this? On verse 5, there's a son born, but that wasn't the whole thing. Look at verse 6. Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Somebody said, you're telling me God's great purpose was laughter? Laughter. No, it was the object of the laughter. Maybe I should say the source of the laughter. It was joy. See, God's purpose in your life and in this world is not to make this world a better place from which people go to hell. And God's purpose is not just to make life a little more able to be lived and give you enough comfort to endure and eke by. That's not God's purpose. God's purpose is always eternal. What is the eternal purpose of God? There's two parts to that verse. Look at the two parts of the verse. God has a purpose for His own people and God has a purpose for all people. What's His purpose for His own people? His purpose for His own people is that they would come to know Him in a deeper way, to believe on Him more fully, to love Him more thoroughly, to glorify Him in all they do. Look what Sarah said. She said, God has made me to laugh in other words god has now put his joy in my heart i can't explain it to you but it's wonderful it's glorious have you ever met a really happy christian i'm not asking if you met a church member in fact sometimes religious people are some of the most miserable people i've ever met in my life I'm not asking if you met a religious person. I'm asking, have you ever met somebody like these people who really knew God and the Lord meant so much to them? He had given them a joy that the world couldn't give them and circumstances couldn't take it away. I want you to know that's God's purpose for all of his children. God did not want you moaning your way to the second coming and grumbling your way to meet God. He wants you to enjoy the journey and then enjoy the destination. Let me show you something. Go back, go back, would you please, to chapters 17 and 18, just for a minute. This is this is funny. Look at Genesis 17, verse 17. When God first told Abraham they were going to have a baby, look at Genesis 17:17. 17, 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face, and what did he do, church? He laughed. And by the way, how many of you men think if you were 99, 100 years of age, and God told you that, you'd laugh too? Yes. All right. So don't criticize Abraham. Come to chapter 18. Look at verse 12. God shows up again, tells Abraham. Sarah overhears it. Look at verse 17. Therefore, Sarah, verse 12, what? Hmm. Everybody's laughing, seems to me. Abraham laughed. Now Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Man, I love that question. I'm going to preach on that sometime soon. Do you know some form of that is found four different times in the Bible? You ought to study that out for yourself. May I give you the answer? Nothing is too hard for our God. All things are possible with God. Look at that verse. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, sound familiar? i return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. Can I just tell you, you better not try to lie to God because he already knows the truth. And she, she said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. Look at the end of verse 15. And he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. May I ask you a question? What is the difference in the laughter in Genesis 17 and 18 and the laughter in Genesis 21? Watch this. One is on the front side when the promise was given. The other is on the back side when the baby comes. How many of you remember holding your your children in your arms when they were born? How many of you remember that? Yes? Was it sweet? And we talked about how beautiful they were, whether they really were pretty or not. We said they were. And they made faces, and we laughed, and they made noises, and we laughed. And the laughter was just so full of joy. We were just overwhelmed. We, I got to be a daddy, and she got to be a mama, and, and God's given us this little miracle, this bundle of joy, and we just laughed together and had such a time. Please don't miss this. Do you see how God changed the laughter? He changed it from the laughter of unbelief to the laughter of all the fullness of what God had for them. He changed it from the laughter of doubt to the laughter of faith. I say to you tonight, there is a fullness, there is a joy, there is a glory that God has for all that will believe and obey Him. Just do what God told you to do. And when you do, I'll tell you what will happen. God will start accomplishing his purpose in your life. Oh, but it's not just about you. Let's not get selfish about the thing. Go back to our verse. Look at Genesis 21, verse 6. God made me to laugh, so, here's God's eternal purpose, that all that hear will laugh with me. Remember I told you last night it wasn't just about Israel. It was about all the nations knowing God. And it's not just about us getting saved. The Lord wants everybody to come to repentance. So look at that verse in the context of that that truth. God made Sarah to see him so that she would show him to others. God made Sarah to laugh so that others who heard the laughter would also enter into the joy. And I want to tell you tonight our sad world could use a good dose of heaven's joy. And where does that joy come from? It comes from those who simply believe that God will do it just like he said. Eight years ago God started doing something in my heart. I can't really explain it to you My wife and I were very comfortable. We were living in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's the only world our children had known. We were serving on staff of a wonderful church and a college, and we were well cared for, comfortable, nice home, future all planned out. And God started working in my heart. I know now as I look back on it, God was getting me ready to take a step of faith. It was It was the biggest step of faith I've ever had to take as a Christian. The Lord wanted me to leave there and do what I'm doing right now. I wish I could tell you that when the Lord started working on me that way, I said, absolutely, Lord, I can't wait. But I didn't. I argued with God. Did you know that's not an argument you can win? I tried. And I debated with the Lord explain to him why it'd be so much better for me to stay there. How much more could be accomplished, you know, from where I was. And finally, the Lord basically just said to me, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to obey me or not. I remember the night I sat down with the pastor that I'd served with for 20 years and told him what God was doing in my heart. And and he asked me several questions, and he was trying to give me some options, and And finally, I said to him, Pastor, all I know to tell you is I'm I'm to this place. I either have to obey God or I've got to disobey him. And I remember he held his hand up and he said, then that settles it. You must obey God. It was a threshold moment in my life. I didn't know seven and a half years later that I'd be here with you. I didn't know I'd be doing what God's given me to do with my life. And and I didn't know how fulfilling it was going to be either. I wish I could tell you there was some strong faith I just saw into the future. I remember somebody said when I first announced I was going into evangelism, they said, you must have big plans. I said, big plans? I'm trying to figure out what to do next week. What are you talking about? No, I didn't have any big plans. I was holding on for dear life. I still am. But I want you to know I'm standing now on the other side. I'm, I'm standing on the other side of Isaac. You understand? And there's joy. And I'm not preaching at you now. I'm just testifying. I'm telling you. There is nothing in this world like trusting Jesus and obeying God. Because when you do what he says, you can be sure of this. He will do what he said. The question is not, will God keep his word? The question is, will we obey it?
0: If this Bible message has been used of God in your life Or we can pray for you in some definite way Please contact us at EnjoyingTheJourney.org We hope you will share the message with others Who may also be encouraged by it For additional full-length Bible messages Please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel Tomorrow is the Lord's Day and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, and don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.